Lots of righteousness tends to belong. So keep your love on, on. Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all his awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, 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 keep your love. It's the most valuable thing in the universe. It's the human soul. There's nothing that that God sees at a higher at a higher value. There's nothing that we should see at a higher value than our human soul. And it's something that not many people really understand. Um, not many people really even talk about is the most valuable thing in the universe. (laughs) It's the human soul. So let's dive right into the word. That's what we love to do here. John 3, 16. It's probably one of the most quoted scriptures of the Bible. And today we're we're going to unpack it a little bit more and and, uh, get some more meaning out of it. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, well, we know that this body... The, these muscles, these bones, this body will die off. So what's left to have everlasting life? That's your soul. It's the most precious thing God ever created. So the Greek definition of that word world, where it says, for God so loved the world. <laughs> I love this because the world as we see it through natural eyes, the world is, um, you know, what, what our houses, our cars, our jobs, our, our families, our biological connections. That's part of the world. Um, the world is also, you know, the mountains and streams and all that. But that is not actually what the, defini- the Greek definition of the world, word world means. The Greek definition of that word world is orderly arrangement. It means decoration. It means adorning. God so loved his orderly arrangement, his initial creation, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, let's go back to when we were created in Genesis 1. This is incredible. We'll start in Genesis 1, verse 1. Let's find out about this orderly arrangement that God loves so much that he would give the gift of his only begotten son and give us everlasting life. 
In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's Genesis 1, 1. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. (laughs) I love the authority of God Almighty. When he says something, it means it, it happens, and the result that he intends is accomplished. That's the God we serve. Verse 4, this is really important. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. Isn't that interesting? God not only saw that the light was good, but that he then divided it from darkness. Okay, let's remember this because this comes up a lot later on in the scriptures. And as we, as we learn about the incredible value of the human soul, it's also really important to recognize it. something so valuable needs to be divided out from that which is not valuable. So as we understand the value of our soul, we can also understand God's protection of it and why he says later in the scriptures, come out and be ye separate. It's because that incredible value that of his creation, of the human soul, of our soul, it needs to be divided out from the darkness. So remember that. Verse 4, it says in Genesis 1, And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from darkness. We're going to see more of that. But we can skip down now in Genesis 1 to verse 26. And of course, in between, God created all the, all the earth in a, in a beautiful, wondrous work. And God said in verse 26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image, and then he also gave us dominion over everything that creepeth upon the earth. Well, technically, everything we see is made up of tiny molecules that move. So so the Lord literally gave us dominion over everything we see, which is why when he says, if you say to that mountain, move, he will move it for us because he's given us that great authority and that great dominion. And that was from creation. Okay, this is verse 26. Let's keep going here. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. God's laying out these provisions of abundance for us because he created us in his image. He's given us this incredible authority and dominion over everything we see 
in this world, in this life. Isn't that incredible? And then he goes so far as to outline very specifically, here's everything I've given you. You're well taken care of. In verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God created man for this wondrous work and for this this beautiful uh, relationship and with great love and great care. And so it's really so important for us to have that in our hearts and minds for, for ourselves and then, of course, for one another. And today we have some wonderful ministers, Brother Bob and a, a dear man named Dr. Jason, that, uh, that are going to help us understand even further how to see ourselves as God sees us and to cherish the human soul and to love that. And then also then how to let brotherly love continue, how to take that knowledge that God's given us, take that understanding and apply it to each other. And then, wow, we'll see our lives just flourish in an abundance of love for God, most importantly, and for each other. It's beautiful. It's so incredible. So that was Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw what he made, and it was very good. And on the seventh day, of course, he rested. And let's go to chapter 2 now. There's a really important distinction here. Because God just created man in his image. And saw that it was very good. And in chapter 2, we'll go down to verse 6. It says, But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Wow, that's a really interesting distinction. So before the meaning of man is a human being. It's not just the male gender, but it's it's human beings. It's just, that's the general term. And the Hebrew meaning of the word soul. So this is very important. God gave us his breath of life and man became a living soul. That word means vitality. That word means appetite, desire, breathed upon, refreshed. Well, when we have an appetite to serve God, When we have a desire to serve God, that's an incredible, wonderful thing. But there's also appetites and desires for other things, certainly. And so it's up to us to decide what we want to focus those desires and that appetite, what we focus our vitality, the vitality of our soul, what we focus it on. Because God gave us this breath of life and he's given us that choice to say, well, you now have vitality, you now have an appetite, and you now have desire. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to focus on? Oh, this is so precious. This is so wonderful to know that we can, we can point that desire and that vitality and all of our passions and energies straight to the Lord and, and watch how he blesses us one, once again. So this is really interesting because the meaning of the word soul also means breath, vital principle, and the mind. It's the seat of the senses, affections, and various emotions. So our soul is our mind. 
So if you want your soul to be before the Lord, let's put our mind before the Lord, right? Let's take this quiet time and and uh, just spend some time thinking about God and saying, well, you know, Lord, can you show me new things in the word? Lord, can you show me more about who you are and how you love? Can you show me this, Lord? Our soul is our mind, and that's that's the vitality of this life. That's that's our breath. And to know that God breathed into man to make him the living soul, it's it changes everything. Every breath we breathe in, we can breathe in that breath of God and say that, you know, Lord, take a deep breath in and breathe in your breath, Lord. Thank you for my soul. Thank you for your protection of my soul. Because God obviously so loved the world, this orderly arrangement, this creation of the human soul that he gave his only begotten son to protect it for all eternity. So that's why we know that the human soul is even more valuable than time because it's eternal. It surpasses any time. Isn't that wonderful to know that? The human soul is so valuable that God gave his son to protect it. So let's talk about the purpose of the human soul because one of my favorite things to talk about is that how the human soul was actually created to be God's friend. And we can see that in Exodus 33, 11. And what better friend can we possibly have than Jesus Christ of Nazareth and God Almighty? God Almighty that said, let there be light. And it was so. That's the friend that we can have. In Exodus 33, 11, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. So even back in Exodus, we were seeing that God saw man as that friend, as that relationship. In James 2, this is in the New Testament, towards the back of the Bible, James 2, it says in verse 1, My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of the Lord of glory with respect of persons. That's saying, don't look at the outward appearance. God doesn't see the outward appearance. He doesn't care what anyone is uh, is looks like on the outside or the degrees or the amount of money in the bank account. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a man of vile, a poor man, in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? James has taken these um, individuals to task here, saying, "Does it? Why does this matter? Are you are you allowing some evil thoughts?" It says, verse five: "Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom?" which he hath promised to them that love him. And down to verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, 
Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. See, in this natural life, a lot of habits form that, that teach us to look on the outward appearance. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't have that, that judgment. He doesn't care. <laughs> he looks at the heart. And that's why Abraham, just believing God, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And that was all that was required for him to be called the friend of God, was to live in that righteousness, to believe God. So all the outward appearance does not matter. What does is that our soul says, Lord, I believe you. I believe you. Lord, I want to be your friend. Let's go to John 15. We'll start in verse 12. Don't we want God Almighty as our friend? I, I do. I ask him every, every day I have that conversation with him. Lord, thank you so much for your truth and your righteousness. Thank you so much for being, for being mine, for being my friend, for being my savior. This is John 15, verse 12. It says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what is his what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. We are the friend of God, and as we love one another, we show ourselves to be friendly to God. Because God created each soul carefully and individually. And so as we share that love for God's creation, we show ourselves that, Lord, we really, we do love you. We love you so much. I'm going to put my life aside and serve others. That's what we do as Christians to show our love for the Lord. That's why, isn't it wonderful? This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And I, this is incredible because Christ not only washed the feet of the disciples and healed the lame and the sick and the blind and had great compassion on the multitudes to do incredible miracles and feed them wonderful food, bread and fish and make the water, take water and turn it into wine. Those are all the things that Christ did to demonstrate his love. He also, the greatest thing he did to demonstrate his love is number one, tell us the truth of who God is. He always, Christ always tells us the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we can, we can rest in his love and we can rest in that truth that he gives us. And then of course, he laid down his life and was resurrected in great victory and gives that to us as well. And that's the same thing he's asking us to do here, is to love one another with that same totality, 
to love one another by showing that care, showing that kindness, doing those works of service and doing, believing for great, in great faith for miracles for one another. And also telling each other the truth. That's a, that's a wonderful way we can show our love for one another is by just telling the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of this word. And it comes, becomes very easy to love one another when we see each other as the precious soul that God himself breathed the breath of life into, creating us for eternal glory, for eternal life. Isn't that incredible? So let's use this knowledge of God's creation to see our fellow man differently and to recognize them as the, as a, the human soul that also got that breath of life breathed into them and also has that same choice to decide whether or not they're going to use that, that living soul and that vitality to seek God or to seek other things. So each, everyone has that choice and we get to give them the truth of the word and we get to love them as they make those choices and make those decisions. And I pray that, that each soul that is chosen of God chooses God with all their heart, all their mind, and all their strength. I pray that every day, Lord. So now that we have that understanding of the importance of the human soul, let us now take a look at what the Word has to say about how to protect this incredibly valuable, the most valuable thing God ever created. How do we protect the most valuable thing you'll ever possess? In Matthew 16, verse 26, it says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This is Christ speaking. And of course, Christ knew the work that he would have to do, that he would have to lay his life down, suffer incredible, incredible things for each individual human soul. He knew that. What an incredible question for him to ask. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He knew what he would be giving in exchange for my soul and your soul. He knew what he'd be giving for that. And now the question is up to each of us. What are we willing to give to protect our soul? What are we willing to do to say, whoa, I'm not getting involved in that rigmarole. I'm not getting involved in that fornication, or I'm not getting involved in, in that drug activity, or I won't participate in that music because it's not of God. Are we willing to make those decisions and, and protect our soul, divide the light from the dark, just like God did all the way back in Genesis? We should be, because in Luke 21, It says, in your patience, possess ye your souls. Our ability to be patient and make those daily decisions that, Lord, I want want my soul to seek you. I want all that you have for me. Lord, I want my soul protected. I want my soul to be in eternity with you. I want everlasting life, Lord. And as we use patience to make these daily decisions, we will keep possession of the most valuable thing we'll ever have 
our soul. We'll keep possession of our soul. So the most important thing we can do is to consider that eternal, consider eternity, and again, protect our soul. So Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It's pretty simple. If we want to protect our soul, the word's clear, to get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we have that incredible, wondrous protection of God everywhere we go, and that incredible, wondrous victory in God every day. That's pretty, that is incredible. That was Mark 16, 16. So if you missed the episode on water baptism, I'm going to encourage you to go to getyourloveon.org and uh, check it out, read up on it, listen to the episode. There's a lot of incredible teaching on it, and we want you to be very well informed. We want you to have the truth. Let's go to Matthew 16. We'll start in verse 24. We're talking about the incredible value of the human soul. And it says in Matthew 16, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Well, what life is Christ talking about? Because he says, if you believe for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. So what life is needs to be lost in order to find that everlasting life? What life is Christ talking about? He's talking about the fleshly life, the natural life, the money, accolades of man, the big houses, the cars, jewels, blah, 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 pride, arrogance. That's the life that he's talking about, the facade that is built to impress the, based on the outward appearance. Isn't it neat how we already read about that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, that we don't have faith according to respecter of persons? God doesn't care. Why would he? He owns everything. He doesn't care what you've got in your bank account. He doesn't care what you have in your driveway. He owns everything already. Why would he? He cares about your soul the most precious thing he created. That's all he cares about. And protecting it and ensuring that it knows the truth. So that's the life that we need to lose and let go of. And again, that's a choice. Let's go to Mark 10. We'll start in verse 13. It says, And they brought young children to him, speaking of Christ, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Children trust. Children believe. Children don't worry about the things that they can do because they haven't really become proficient enough in a lot of skills to think that they can do things on their own. So they rely on their parents. And we need to rely on God Almighty in order to enter in to the kingdom of God. We need to rely on him 
his way of doing things, his way of thinking, his mind, his wisdom. I should say we get to rely on that. It does require us choosing, though. It says, and he took them up in the arms, in verse 16, and he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Speaking of all these beautiful children that his disciples actually tried to keep back. And that's a, that's a, a part of the religious world out there that will try to push God back from the human soul, that will try to make people feel like, oh, you have to go through this man or you have to go through this, go to this building in order to feel holy. That's not how God has instructed us. That's not what God intends. God intends for each soul to go to him as a child and then he'll wrap you up in his arms and bless you. It's that simple. In verse 17, it says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What a wonderful question. And I would that more people ask this question. Fewer look to this temporal life and more ask, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? In verse 18, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And this fervent man who came running and kneeling before Christ said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him okay this is again christ telling him the truth because he loves him one thing thou lackest go thy way sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasures in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me very simple and very straightforward christ is saying Go sell all the stuff that you think is important because it's not important to God. Go sell it and give to the poor, give to the needy. Go leave off the things that you've been taught. That's what Christ is saying. Leave off that stuff that you've been taught is important and just follow me. Take up your cross. Understand what you're doing. Keep the commandments, get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's part of all that instruction wrapped up in the take up the cross and follow me. Very simple, very straightforward. And we can all do this too. And, and, and again, it's not a matter of literally going out and putting all your stuff up on eBay. That's not, that's not it. This is spiritually discerned, not literally discerned by the letter. This is spiritually discerned. So we can know that we can follow Christ with all our heart. And as we leave off, as we make that decision to have our vitality and our soul pointed towards God, seeking God, we will be leaving off the things of this world and all the so-called riches. But here's what happened next. This again is Mark 10, verse 22. And he was sad. Speaking of this young man who was very fervent, ran up to Christ, 
ran up to him, kneeling before him and say, Lord, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Very urgent, very earnest individual. But Christ loved him and gave him the truth. And that really wasn't what he was looking for, apparently. And he was sad at that saying, that young man, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Hmm, he was too attached to the things of this life, to maybe a title, um, his car, you know, the, the possessions. You know what that means. You know what that means. And so he went away sad rather than rejoicing that, that the Savior said to him, follow me. In verse 23, and Jesus looked round about and saith to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and said unto them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's wonderful how he rephrased that too. Children, let's get back to the basics. Let's simplify. Let's keep our minds and hearts simple, trusting God, relying on God. Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Because the riches replace God in those hearts and minds. The riches, the, the fact that someone thinks they're pretty strong and pretty good at that or pretty good at this. So I don't, need, I don't need to seek God for these things because I've already got it. I'm good. That's why it's so challenging for those who cling to this life and cling to the constructs, the culture, traditions, all of that, man's ways, all of that. Those who cling to that have a difficult time understanding God because God's ways are so different. Well, let's, let's look at this. In verse 26, these are Jesus' disciples, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. This is pretty clear. We should seek God then, right? Because there are limitations to men. There are limitations to the natural mind, of course. There are no limitations to God. And God's ways are not man's ways. So everything we've been taught in this world, on TV, in school, the linear nature of time, culture, those are all man's ways, man's organization. But God's ways are his ways. So let's learn those ways and protect his precious creation, the human soul. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it gives us incredible instruction. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul so here we have this incredibly valuable soul within ourselves that god again breathed that breath of life into and 
And Peter is saying, abstain from those fleshly lusts, which war against that precious thing in our hearts and our minds. And the Greek meaning of the word fleshly, we use the King James Version of the Bible here on Get Your Love On so that we can then go back and reference and get a deeper understanding of what these words mean. We don't just use good old Webster because sometimes Webster is off. He doesn't, sometimes Webster's dictionary doesn't give us the full scope of what God is intending. So this word fleshly means bodily. So that's, you know, our muscles, our bones, our, our nerves, the body. It means temporal. So the opposite of eternal. It's a temporary. It's a temporary thing that we have here in this flesh. It means animal. It means carnal, governed by mere human nature and not by the spirit of God, having its seat in the animal nature, aroused by the animal nature. So if we want to protect our souls, we must first identify the fleshly lusts. If we're going to abstain from them, we have to know what they are first, right? And then understand the, the critical importance of why we're abstaining from that, of why we wait for marriage to have sex, of why we make sure that we honor our mother and father rather than being rebellious and, and or uh, doing whatever we want. That kind of, that's the animal nature, doing whatever you want. That's, that's that fleshly uh, impulse. So in order to protect our soul and not allow these fleshly lusts to war against it, we must be able to identify it, call it out, call out the flesh, then abstain from it and overcome it. And then we'll have, wow, this incredibly protected soul. So let's go to Romans 8 and we'll start in verse 5. We now understand the incredible value of the human soul. Now we're going to learn how to protect it from the flesh, from the wiles of Satan, and how to seek God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. Romans 8, 5, it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Makes perfect sense. Thank you, Apostle Paul. Here's why that's so critical, though. Right here, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's no starker contrast. To be carnally minded, to have that fleshly mind, that natural mind where all you want is whatever you want and uh, the impulse, the, the, all the fleshly things, that's death. That'll kill you. Period. End of story. But to be spiritually minded, to seek God, is life and peace. So again, that decision. Remember how in Genesis, God divided the light from the darkness? We do the same thing with our decisions. We divide the flesh from the spirit. We, we get to recognize that. And as we read our word more and more, as we seek God, as we ask him those, these questions, he will give us more and more understanding and a greater ability to recognize 
This is the carnal mind. That's death. This is a spiritual mind, life and peace. I'm going towards that, Lord. I want life. I want peace. Yes. Who doesn't? That's incredible. Isn't that wonderful knowledge to have? I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful to the Lord for giving us that ability to divide out the light from the darkness, just like he did in Genesis 1. And we get to do that every day in our lives. Verse 7, why is this so critical again? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity means mortal enemy. Again, Peter said it wars against your soul. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So how do we get the spirit? Well, that's getting baptized. In Acts 2.38, that question was asked to Apostle Peter. And he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the promise is unto you and to all your children and to all that are far off. It's very simple. So as we are obedient to that, then we'll see, okay, now we have the Holy Spirit. Great. And we are no longer in the flesh. That's pretty wonderful. That is pretty incredible. Now we can just move towards life and peace every day of our life. In Galatians 5, let's go to verse 16. We'll define this this dichotomy. On one side is the flesh. On the exact opposite side is the spirit. And they can't, they're, they're mortal enemies. In Galatians 5 verse 16, it says, This I say then. Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So all those that say, oh, I have this, all this temptation. I, I can't get over this. I can't get over that. Well, here's your solution, dear friend. If you've been embattled and in bondage to sin, sickness, disease, here's your solution. Walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. The flesh literally holds, holds a soul back. because and, and stops a soul from being able to pursue God and to pursue blessing, and to pursue life and peace. It, that's what it says right here, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So let's say your heart is, is you know, Lord, I'd like to do A, B, and C. Well, if we're not walking in the Spirit, that won't happen. If you want to build your own business, if you want to have a wife and, and children, if you're walking in the flesh, that's... You can't do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's what it says in verse 18. So as we walk in the Spirit, we know that the lusts of the flesh won't be part of our lives. And so we get to be led of the Spirit. We no longer have that battle, that internal battle. We have victory through Christ. 
So that there, there's no battle anymore. <laughs> Christ has already won the battle. He's already overcome the flesh. That's why Paul can say that with such authority. Walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But remember back in, in uh, Mark it was, when we talked about that young man who came running to Christ. Christ, what do I do to obtain eternal life? And then Christ loved him and told him the truth. Sell all that you have. Give up all the, the um, natural things that you think you need and trust God. Let him guide you, protect you, and, and instruct you. That's what that means. And that's what it means to walk in the spirit is to allow the spirit of God through you to just have free course, have, have free liberty in the spirit. Okay, so that's that's Galatians 5. Let's go to verse 19 now because Paul identifies specifically what are the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is kind of a lusting for things, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, trying to, trying to, you know, strive and get one up on people, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here we go. So as we leave off idolatry and witchcraft and drunkenness and envyings and murders, as, as we walk away from that, once we're baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are automatically removed from all that. Our light is separated from all that darkness. And we obtain the fruit of the Spirit which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. See, as we choose God, as we choose Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we say, okay, Lord, I want to do things your way. I want, to, I want to see things as you see them, because with God, all things are possible. So I want God in all my life, throughout all my life. I want, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit in me and moving me through this life. As we do that, we've already crucified the flesh once we have Christ within, we've crucified that flesh. And again, what was, what was so important about that? It's that flesh wars against our soul. The most precious thing God created. The one thing we should protect above everything. All those fleshly lusts, they war against it. They try to kill it off. So as we walk in the spirit, we are protected that precious soul that God breathed 
the breath of life into is protected. And that's, that's the key. That's why it's so important to heed those words in Acts 2.38. When Apostle Peter was asked, what should we do? Well, you repent, change your mind, and then you get baptized for the remission of sins, washing it all away and renewing your heart, your mind, your whole life. That's what it is to live in the Spirit. And then to learn to walk in the Spirit, too. It's wonderful. And it's, it's incredible because God goes to great lengths to protect the human soul. And in Psalms 23, verse 3, it says, He restoreth my soul and leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We get to be led in the paths of righteousness with our soul fully restored. If your heart's been hurting, if your mind's been battling different decisions or, and has been troubled, trust God. He'll restore your heart. He'll restore your mind and lead you in the path of righteousness so that those fleshly lusts are no longer a part of your life. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In Psalms 107, verse 8, it says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. People might find temporary entertainment or temporary joy in some of those fleshly lusts, but that's not real joy. It's temporary and will cause death down the road. It does. That's what the, that's the ultimate death is the ultimate result of sin. It's the wages of sin is death. That's according to the word. But if men praise God for his goodness and for his wonderful works to all the children of men, here's what happens. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Goodness is, it's well, because it's a, a fruit of the Spirit. So yes, we are full on the Spirit. We are full on goodness. And it's a wonderful way to live this life. It's a wonderful way to pass through this life is to allow God to satisfy the longings in your soul. Allow God to fill your hungry soul with his goodness. Trust the Lord. Trust him. Ask him, Lord, show me those things that would hold me back. I want to give them up. I want, I want them out of my life. You can say that to him and then he'll show you. He'll show you those things, those quote riches. You know, that word riches in the New Testament, um, when, when Christ was saying how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God, that term riches means something useful. It's not just money. You can be really poor, but cling to your riches. It's, it's something useful that you're that an individual is going to cling to rather than clinging to God. So the more we let go of those ideas, those constructs that those kind of boxes that our culture teaches us and that this world man's mind teaches us like, oh, you got to make sure you go right from high school into college, go get a college degree, go get it. That's a construct of man. Where does the, where would the Lord want you? That's the question to ask. Well, Lord, what do you have for me? 
That's the question to ask. And then he'll guide you in that path of righteousness because that's his promise. That's the promise of God. So we get to have that freedom before the Lord and trust that as we praise God for his goodness and for his wonderful works, he'll satisfy our soul. He'll fill those hungers in our soul. Isn't that beautiful? Here's Jeremiah 31. We're talking about the incredible value of the human soul and how God protects it because it is the most valuable thing in the universe. Jeremiah 31 verse 11, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Well, without the spirit of God in us, the flesh is too strong for us. The flesh is strong. Those, that animal nature, that fleshly nature, it's too strong, especially with all the messaging out there and all the temptation out there uh, to sin and have fun with it. That's Without the Spirit of God, that would be too strong for, for the human soul. So that's why, again, we need that. We need the Holy Spirit in order to separate out. When we walk in the Spirit, we will not obey the lusts of the flesh. Promise of God right there. You're protected. Your soul is protected once we get that Holy Spirit. But without God, yeah, of course, we're just flapping in the wind. Those decisions are very difficult to make, but with God, they're very easy to make because he's ransomed him. He's ransomed us from the hand of him that was stronger than he. This is Jeremiah 31 verse 12. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. That's the promise of God. When we accept him in our hearts and minds, we will not sorrow any more at all. Because we understand, we walk in the Spirit, and we understand God's ways. And here's verse 25. For I have satiated the weary soul, And I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Again, if your heart's hurting, if it has hurt, when you're looking for solutions, let's go to God for everything and anything because he'll replenish every sorrowful soul. Isn't that wonderful? The human soul, the most precious thing. And I hope that this has given you that understanding too through God's love to understand the value of your soul and not only to see it for ourselves, to know that value for ourselves, but also to see that value in each other. Because once we know the value of our soul and how important each one is, each individual is so important, it becomes really easy to love one another. And here's an incredible message from our friend, His name's Dr. Jason, and just like Luke in the Word, he's a beloved physician by trade, but more importantly, he's a great man of God. He ministered this message called Let Brotherly Love Continue. So uh, in my job as a physician, I see people in great need on a regular day-to-day basis. Um, Recently, I've had the opportunity and privilege 
to help some dear brothers in the Lord with great needs. And it kind of got me thinking about what the bottom line is with that and what that really means and what that really takes. And it really boils down to and comes down to a simple thing. And that's putting our flesh aside and loving our brother. Brotherly love. And it started from the very beginning. Brotherly love did. The Bible has a lot to say about that. It has a lot to say about love. And when I looked it up, it very simply took me to 1 John. The title of my message is, Let Brotherly Love Continue. Now that's Hebrews 13.1. But it's just one sentence. Let brotherly love continue. And I could probably just stop right there and stand up and leave and you'd all pretty much have the message. <laughs> but we're going to go on and dig that out a little bit more. Okay? Brotherly love can manifest itself in many ways. Some examples are, you know, being called to go immediately to help a brother in great need. Just like I mentioned. And what a privilege that is. It causes you to put your flesh down. It may cause you to need to put your life completely on hold. And what are you going to do that for? You're going to do that because you love your brethren. Also, just praying for your brethren and loving them and finding out what their needs are. And like I said before, as a physician in my work, that's happened to me many times. But the most blessed times are when I can help my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it really shows you how you love a person as a person, not just as maybe another patient. As the Lord leads us, we can also show that same love and care to people in our own life. Maybe clients that you work with on your job. I'm looking out at the audience here and you know, there's people here that work as hairstylists, refinery workers, etc. And you can show that same love to those people. And what it's going to do is it's going to minister to them. And the other thing is, the Lord will bless you in your work. But I would recommend that you do that as God leads you and open your heart as God leads you. Other ways, we all know these ways, cooking meals, showing up to help people with their yard work, washing cars, doing hard physical labor, <laughs> Those are ways that you can love your brother because they're physical manifested deeds that you're doing. And we'll get into that further. Let's start in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1 reads, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Wow, how lucky are we. <laughs> And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, propitiation, I looked that up, it means atonement or payment. Basically, as we know, Jesus died for our sins. Verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. If we keep his word, 
we are in him. Basically, we have to be obedient and keep his word for God's love to be perfected in us. And that's what we're striving for, and that's what we are, is perfected. 1 John 2, verse 6 reads, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Now, to walk, that's an action. Walking is an action. And so we can say in word that we love, but unless we display that in our actions, it doesn't really mean much. It's not the whole thing. It's not the whole enchilada, as they say. In verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. So sin is in the past. God moves forward. Jesus overcame sin and the devil. God is moving forward. But the commandment he's talking about here is loving one another and loving God, number one. In verse 9 it says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Hate here is to love less. It just means loving something less. Maybe less than yourself or less than the world or less than things that you need to do. But if you read that, I mean, really, hate, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Loving your brother is central to worshiping God. Verse 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Now the light there is the truth and the spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the light. He is the way and the truth and the light, not the world. So loving your brother and loving not the world. A really central theme to this chapter of the Bible. Verse 11, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. That's how important it is to love your brother. I mean, literally by not doing that, you're in darkness. That's how scary that is, and that's how serious that is. You can say you love the Lord, but if you don't love your brother, you don't love the Lord. (laughs) I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Well, thank God we have the Redeemer. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children. There's some in the audience. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Know everything in that verse is present tense for now, right? It says, I write unto you, I write unto you, I write unto you. That's all present tense. Now look at verse 14. I have written unto you. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. That's in past tense. God is the same then, he's the same now, and he's the same forever. What was true then is true now. Jesus Christ was true then, 
He's true now. He's in us now. Verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Remember, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And our actions are what really shows it, right? Our actions and where our heart is. And where our heart is, is manifested by what comes out of our mouths. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And that means us. Every day, every time we do the will of God, we abideth forever. Okay? That's the promise of the Lord. Eternal life. I wrote that in big capital letters, and I put a couple exclamation points behind that. <laughs> Eternal life. Little children, it is the last time and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And in this day and age, we know there are many Antichrists. Antichrist is anti-God, unbelievers, people that denied Christ. Much of this, much of John, or first John, is his reaffirmation of who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God. In verse 19, Now they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. Unbelievers. People that denied Christ with the Son of God. People that lost their love for their brethren. That's what came to me when I first read that scripture. They went out from us because they lost their love. Don't lose your love. We, had, we as Christians just, let's keep our love for the brethren. Verse 20, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And like I said before, much of this book is about John reaffirming who Jesus was and who he is. But those that deny Christ are antichrist. And when they do that, it's not only, them, not only the Son that they deny, but also God himself, the Father. That's important to remember that, because they're one. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Verse 24, Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So keep God's commandments. Keep what God laid down in the beginning. Keep it simple. And keep the teachings of Jesus and keep our love. And if you do that, you'll abide and you'll have eternal life. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Look at that. It's right there. I keep getting ahead of myself by one scripture. But it's written down in our heart, right? It's written down in our heart. So it flows out that way. It's just a normal thing. Verse 26, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Those are people or things that would 
essentially deny Christ. That's what would seduce a person, right? Be anti-God, anti-Christ, temptations, witchcraft, things like that. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. We don't need to be seduced by those things. And ye need not, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now what is that? What is that anointing? That's Christ within. That's our hope of glory. That's just what I said. That's the word written on the tables of our heart. So we won't be seduced. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that's a clear conscience. Isn't that just a simple thing? Just keep a clear conscience. If you have a clear conscience before the Lord, you're doing it right. And it isn't a lot harder than that. <laughs> if you love God, number one, and you love your brethren, and you have a clear conscience, you're doing it right. Verse 29, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. It is impossible to truly be righteous without being born of God. There's only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Wow, what an honor that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The world doesn't know the true love of God, but what an honor he gave that to us to people that believe on him. And it's very simple. You just accept God, repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then continue walking forward. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, spiritually. We will meet him in the Spirit. Right? We will meet him in the sky. We will meet him in the spirit. We have so much to look forward to. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, I'll just quickly read it. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, in other words, here on earth, living in these bodies, doing the things that we need to do, worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So hold fast and hold true, because there's much to look forward to. And every man, in, in verse 3 of 1 John, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We are continually purified daily by God. Right? We all are going through purification and trials and tribulations, and there won't be any end to it until we're in glory. And that purification is continual. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. 
and in him is no sin. I mean, look at that. He was, he was sent here to take away our sins. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, what does that mean? Seen him, like physically seen him? You know, in Jesus' time, yeah, those guys, you know, they were hanging out with him. They were having dinner with him. But seen in this context is to, to discern clearly, to attend to, to listen to, to think about, to discern, to study, to experience, and to take heed. So who, uh, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him. We have seen him because we've discerned him. We've attended to him and we've experienced him in our heart and in ourselves. So it's not necessarily physically seen him, right? Spiritually. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. We can be like Christ by doing righteous acts, by doing them. Loving and helping our brothers and sisters is part of that. It's a big part of it. So I would encourage you, whenever you have the opportunity, to do that righteousness. We may not know the bigger picture that God has on earth and with other people. So as an example, you know, a, a brother that has a great need of deliverance or of healing, that one may have an amazing ministry in the future. And by doing your work and showing your love toward that brother, you can help that come to pass for him or her. So thinking about that bigger picture, it's easy to get myopic in our vision and just look at what's right in front of us and go, man, what a hassle this would be. This is so hard. But in reality, helping that person, it could further the church for decades. And I believe it does. I believe it does. I believe the things that we do, do further the church. You know, and they further God's work. Our actions do. And I, and I believe there's a bigger picture. And I would encourage you to also, everyone within the sound of my voice, to understand and think about that bigger picture and say, Lord, this is in your hands. I'm going to do this as unto you. And you know what? You just take it and run with it. Verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Uh-oh. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Wow. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Pretty simple there. Pretty simple there. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. You know, we may make mistakes. Okay? We may make mistakes. But through repentance, that sin does not remain in us. Right? We are not sinners. We are not sinners, and we don't have to be a sinner every day, and we don't have to sin a little bit every day. In 1 Peter 1, in verse 23, it reads, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever in us. That's what makes us not sinners. That's what makes us not sin, because he's in us, and he doesn't sin being Jesus, right? So being born again through repentance, 
baptism, and filled with the Holy Ghost, and getting the Word written down in our souls. Mm -hmm. Studying and reading, and being present. Right? That's what does that. Verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now look at that. The, he puts loveth not his brother right in that same context. That's how important it is to love your brother. Loving your brother is paramount to being of God. It's absolutely paramount to being of God. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Loving one another is from the beginning. Let's go to St. John 13, verse 12. Now, in this passage, Jesus knows that his hour has come. Right? He's going to be taken away. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be betrayed. He knows it. Okay? He knows that he'll be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And then he washes the disciples' feet in this passage. And he demonstrates love and blesses them to carry on his ministry. So verse 12, St. John 13. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. He is their Master and their Lord, right? If I then, your Master, or your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. So, Brotherly love. Pass on the blessing. Show brotherly love. And Jesus is demonstrating it right here, even in the worst case scenario. I mean, you want to talk about sweaty. He was probably getting pretty sweaty about what he knew he had to face. But yet he set that aside and he took time to wash his brethren's feet and pass on that blessing to them and that anointing to them so they could go out and preach. Oh, I'm getting ahead of my message but so they could go out and preach the word and be his ambassador. In verse 15, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So doing them, the action of doing them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. He's talking about Judas there. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me, which is the Father. So he's blessing them, and he's sending them out and saying, do as I've done. Demonstrate this love wherever you go. And when you do it, you'll be demonstrating the love of God. He then dismisses Judas in that passage. So if you skip down to verse 34, it reads, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, just by showing the love. If ye love one another, 
and if ye have love one to another. Mm -hmm. So the thing that this reminded me of is when new converts come into this, this ministry, the one thing that they always say is they were won over by the love they felt. That's what won them over. I could just feel the love. That's what won me over. Right? And so we just need to keep that going. So think about that. And, you know, I would encourage you to maybe talk to people that, you know, might be new to the church or, you know, you might be ministering to and say, what is it that you're feeling? You know, what, what, what is it that brought you to the Lord? And see what they say. And I bet that's what they'll say. Because <laughs> there's just nothing like that out in the world. You know, right? Natural man doesn't have that kind of love in their life. They don't even know what it is. They don't even know what it is. So when you show it to them, they go, whoa, this is new. This is different. I see that all the time in my job as a physician. People just, there's a lack of love. I had a patient who was going through a very difficult time. And he had gotten into some trouble with the law. And he was having some health needs and was taking prescription medication that he wasn't prescribed in order to be able to sleep and um, trying to get through some things. And the guy just had a very sweet soul and he just poured out to me all these things that, that were going on. And I could just tell he had no love in his life. He had nobody that was supporting him. And he was just looking and trying to find anything he could to get out of this horrible mess that he was in. I mean, loss of job, car accident, go to the emergency room. Next week, same scenario happens. Get another car accident, gets busted by the police, DUI. You know, just trauma begets trauma. Physically and mentally and financially. It can just steamroll people. So I had the opportunity to see this man as a patient of mine. And um, young guy, early 30s, something like that. Not married, no kids. But you could just tell there was just no love there. He just had nowhere to go. And I had the opportunity to help him. Saw him on a couple different occasions. And the second or third time I saw him, he just started crying. And... You know, we kind of worked through our appointment and stuff like that. Here's a, here's a Kleenex for you, you know, and things like that. And I was sincere with them and stuff. And I got up to leave, closed my computer and got up to leave. And the guy just stood up, came over to me and just grabbed me and just held on to me. And he just wanted that love so bad. He just would not let me go from the room. And this is a person, I wouldn't know him. I have no, you know connection to him other than just doctor-patient relationship, right? But he felt that love and it was just palpable, you know, and you could just get goosebumps when you feel that. And that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. That's the kind of thing that people out in the world are looking for is that kind of love and care. But it was just remarkable how that happened, you know, just for someone to want to hold on that tight. And that's the love of the Lord coming through. And we all have that inside of us, and we can all pour that out. In 1 John 3, verse 12, <clears throat> now this is speaking of a lack of love. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, 
and his brothers righteous. So, you know, Cain was envious. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Now, verse 14 is a central verse to my message here. And I think it just summarizes it very well. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Look at that. I mean, we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Just think about that statement a bit. It's very powerful. So we have overcome the world, temptations, flesh, hate, by loving our brethren, if you think about it. Because you, can't, you cannot love your brother and really do things for him without overcoming those things. And overcoming is central to being a Christian. So the way I think of this is, it's kind of like math. And you know, some people say, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't think there was gonna be any math in this, in this message, no. <laughs> if we love them, meaning our brethren, and they love God, okay, and keep his commandments, then we love God and are of God, right? So that's the transitive property in math. If A equals B, so we love our brother, and B equals C, and our brother loves the Lord, then A equals C, then we love the Lord, right? Okay. All right, enough of that. <clears throat> but it's because we love God that's inside them, right? We love the Lord inside our brother. So we love the Lord. And Jesus put it like this. Go to Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself or brother. I put brother in there. Or sister. Okay? I'm using that term universally, obviously. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Look at that. Loving the Lord thy God and thy brother. I mean, look at that. On these two commandments hang all the law. All the law. All the old laws. You can read through the Bible about the law. Okay, But if you just do those things, you're covering it. In Galatians 5, verse 13, we've heard this scripture. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use liberty, not for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That's what our liberty is. The liberty we have is to worship and serve the Lord by faith and by the Spirit and not be bound by the law. That's the liberty we have. And we have the liberty to serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All the law is fulfilled like that. 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye not be consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. 
ye cannot do the things that ye would. The flesh hinders the spirit. It prevents us from doing the work of the Lord. So put it down. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. The spirit of the Lord will guide you. Right? Be led of the spirit, not under the law. Those things are written down in us because we're following the spirit. Just trust in it. Back to 1 John 3, in verse 15, it says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now murder here is primarily, and especially for us in, in this day and age, in a spiritual sense, right? Murdering a brother spiritually. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, you know, even, even God gave his own Son, his only Son, for that purpose. That's truly laying it down. And in John 15.13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends or his brethren. In verse 17 of 1 John 3, it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So this world's good would be, you know, financial blessings or capacity, uh, money, um, knowledge, skills, things like that. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? We can't lose our love. Keep pouring out where you can, whether it be physically, spiritually, financially, through prayer, whatever way you can, to your brothers and sisters and to the souls you minister to. How do we increase our love for our brethren? I thought about that, and we've heard it many times, and it's just a very simple thing. We pray for them. You pray for your brother. So if you're feeling a sense of, gosh, you know, I just kind of out of the groove, and I just, you know, I don't know about that person, and those kinds of things, I mean, which is a, you know, a thing that can happen, I mean, in our natural minds at times, right, in, in, and on earth, you can just start to pray for that person and you can regain your love for them and your love can grow. Because what that does, and this is how I think of it, what I do when I pray for a brother is I just get their face in front of my mind. I get their face in my mind and I just ask the Lord to show me their needs. You know, and I think about their personality and interactions that I've had with them over the years and, and what their needs might be and what I've heard and I just start keeping their face right in, in, as a picture in my mind. And that helps me increase my love for them each and every time. So praying for your brother helps. And showing up and getting to know them helps. And it's very simple. It's not a complicated thing. Because we all know how to pray. And we've all been given that gift. And oftentimes, you know, like I alluded to before, that's what new converts feel. They feel that love. And the way you gain that is to pray for them because you don't know them. 
You don't know them initially. You know nothing about them. You've never been over to their house or had dinner with them or anything. But if you pray for them, you'll continue to love them and that'll build and they'll feel it. Okay? You've probably heard, and I've heard many times, God will bless you if you help your brethren. Right? You're gonna, you'll get a blessing out of that. You're going to get a blessing out of that. It's true. It's very, very true. And it was neat when I was doing this study because I was actually able to find scripture that backed that up. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. Deuteronomy 15, 7. This is really neat. So it says, If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart. Thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Okay? So that could be someone that's poor physically, um, that has, you know, physical needs, or maybe an injury, or a surgery, or whatever that they have. Um, or that could be someone that's poor spiritually, right? That needs to be built up in the spirit. Or maybe even someone that's poor financially, physically, spiritually, or financially, that person. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. So give it to him, and don't hold back. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. So don't hold back. You know, don't, don't think about the other things that you could potentially be doing with your time, your skills, your money, whatever the case might be, right? Don't let those things get in the way. Oh, the wicked heart there is a fleshly heart, right? What, what your own flesh would want to potentially do with that money or time or whatever. But don't hold back. Now in verse 10, it says, Thou shalt surely give him. Thou shalt do it. We're going to do it. The Lord's asking us to do it. And thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. In other words, give willingly. Give with a willing heart. And that's when you get the blessing. Because that for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. Right there. The Lord shall bless thee. I mean, let's read that again. Because that for this thing that you did, that you're doing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. Now there are people in this audience here who have done many mighty works for the Lord, and they have put themselves absolutely out there for the Lord. And they've sacrificed much, and they've given willingly. And the Lord is good for it, and he will bless them. Okay? And we believe it, because it's true. And it's his promise. And he wants to bless us for those things. A great example of that is tithe and offerings. Tithe and offerings. It will come back to you. Tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. Don't, live, don't limit God. You never know. It's happening right now. It's happening right now in our midst. In Galatians 6, verse 7, the Lord wants to bless us. So be not weary in our well-doing. Okay? It says, Galatians 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. In other words, He holds to His promises. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, 
just for himself, for his own personal gain, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. So keep up the good fight and keep up the good walk. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So that's doing good unto all men in your jobs, your clients, the people you're running into. Show them that love. You know, your students, etc. And it'll come back to you. Back to 1 John 3, <clears throat> verse 18. My little children, let us, not, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, deed there is an act. It's like doing, <laughs> doing something. You know, labor or work or whatever the case the Lord might have for you. The body needs all members, right? We all have a place and we all have a ministry. And even though sometimes it might feel like maybe you don't or you're not exactly sure what it is, the Lord does have a ministry for all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it speaks of this. And it's really for the purpose of getting the work done. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 reads, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So we're together in this. For the body is not one member, but many. We all have our role. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now, the hand is pretty important, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to get by without a hand. There are things on the internet about people that can use their feet to do everything, but the hand is important, and so is the feet. Because it's just hard to get somewhere that the Lord wants you to go without your feet. And it's hard to do much when you get there without your hands. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? We need all our senses, just like we need all our members. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Right? Myself, for example, the Lord had me to become a physician. You know, he did that when I was very young. You know, he placed that down inside me. And it's just something that he had for me to do. And the Lord has something for everyone to do. You know, it's not any more special than anything else. It just is what it is. It's my ministry. It's, it's something that the Lord gave me. And it's a real privilege. It's an, honestly, it's a real privilege. So I'm very thankful for it. And it wasn't always an easy road. And I've had to learn many, many things along the way. But it just helps me to be part of the body. And we all have that in one capacity or another. I mean, I could think of innumerable examples of the people just sitting in this room that I felt had such an important role in the body and helped me so much. Verse 19, 
And if they were all one member, where were the body? So we can't all be separate. We got to be together. But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So, you know, like try building a house without any help. <laughs> I, you know, I think you could do it. Um, it'd be really hard to, you know, set the trusses for the roof. Um, we need each other. And uh, there's been many, many examples where we've, we've done that. And that's what the body of Christ is. And having that brotherly love down inside of us and sharing it amongst each other just keeps it all just well-oiled. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Now, this is interesting. The members that are more feeble are necessary, are very necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. So we build each other up and we buoy each other up, right? And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Now that's interesting. That's absolutely the complete opposite of what the world thinks and says and advertises and crams down your throat every single time they possibly can. Okay? Because guess what? There may be times in our lives when we have some uncomely parts, right? We have some needs. We need the brethren to come to our rescue. It, 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 you know, it isn't really going real great and we need some help or we need to go through something or be delivered from something or we have some big physical need and we need somebody with compassion and love and care to come in and help us. Because, you know, for example, you know, I, I hear that, that aging isn't always that much fun. Okay, just as one example. <laughs> Not that I would know with any personal experience. <laughs> <clears throat> Verse 24. For our comely parts have no need. Our comely parts have no need. Okay. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body. No division. Because we'll all be there someday. And we help each other but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And there is great rejoicing with that honor and with those blessings. Because we know that that's God's promise. Verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we are the body of Christ we are together, we are in unity, but we're not all the same. I mean, that would be really boring. We can't all be the same. We have our own personalities. And there's some great personalities and talents, you know. We saw a young man come up here today who blew the shofar, and so far I haven't been able to find anything that that guy can't do well. <laughs> right? We have talented singers. We have talented ministers. We have people that can work with their hands and pretty much do most anything. And we all have our personalities and our own ways that we're walking before the Lord in our own walk. But at the same time, at the end of the day, we all come together because we have the same spirit and we're of the same body. 
So don't lose your personality. You know, be yourself before the Lord. Because we need you. The Lord needs you the way you are. He made you the way you are. In 1 John chapter 3, back to that, verse 19, and hereby, hope you kept your thumb in that place, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. The truth that Jesus brought and that Jesus represents, that's the truth. We know that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Right? He's there to forgive us. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. We have that clear conscience, and that's what we want. We want that confidence and assurity of a clean conscience before God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So great needs and petitions have been brought before the Lord recently. There's a promise right there. I just read it in verse 22. We stand on the word and we hold the Lord to it. And it's going to happen. And it's happening. It's happening right now. We've claimed it. Because we stand on his commandments and we do righteousness and we love him. Number one. And we love our brethren. So we're doing all the stuff. So the Lord is going to fulfill his promise to us. Mm -hmm. And he already has. We speak of things which are not as though they already were, as though they already are. We have that house. We're in that house. Man, it's nice in this house. Isn't this a nice house? It just fits us perfectly. We're, we're loving this house. Boy, these financial blessings from you, Lord, are just so awesome. We just really appreciate it. And we're so thankful, Lord. See? So we speak those things out into motion, and guess what? They happen, because here we sit. In Psalm 34, verse 15, this summarizes what I just said. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. We've made many a cry, and as a Christian, I would encourage each and every one of us to continue to make those cries because his ears are open unto it, and he'll deliver it. And he has. He has delivered it. So back to 1 John 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. He commanded us to do this. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. We know that he's in us because we've kept his commandments, we've loved our brethren, and by the Spirit. That's the unity that we have with God, the Father and Jesus, and between all of us through love. Love maintains that unity. In John 17, St. John 17, verse 21, this is Jesus speaking, and I'll wrap up here. Verse 21, it says, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So if we are one with the Lord, and one with Jesus, 
and we carry that forth, then people can't help but to know that Jesus was sent by God because he's inside us, right? And we're carrying it forth. So that rounds it out, right? Verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, just like I said, just like I alluded to there, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. So sharing that love displays and shows and manifests the love of God, because he's in us, and God sent him. So this is my final thought. When you do something for your brother or your sister in love, you are doing more than just kind of helping them with a chore or a task or, or doing them a favor. You're actually fulfilling the work of the Lord by manifesting His Spirit and His love in a real and tangible way. So remember that the next time you're called upon to share your physical gifts or your spiritual gifts with the brethren, that you're actually fulfilling the work of the Lord and you're manifesting it in a real way that people can see and feel and hear and touch. And that is the way that we will continue to show our brotherly love one toward another. So that's my message for the day. And I hope that it all brings you into remembrance of those early commandments and the simplicity that God had for us and that he still does and what our Savior has for us. It's how simple it is, is to just love God and love your brethren and show that in your actions and deeds and words. And thank you so much for being here today. This show is called Get Your Love On, and for good reason. It's because that is the key to knowing God Almighty. We spent the last couple hours getting our love on. Let's make sure we keep our love on. And I'll see you next week for another wonderful edition. In the meantime, go to getyourloveon.org for the podcast. And I hope you have a beautiful week. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright, bright, bright.